it's time for a chocolate and coffee break. So grab your cuppa and let's listen together to stories from people of all walks of life that will touch your heart and reveal that opposites are the same. I'm your host, Andrea Putting, and this is Chocolate and Coffee Breaks, where we bring people together in the spirit of love and acceptance. Today on Chocolate and Coffee Breaks, I'm speaking with Dilhara Sivalingam, and she is an Associate Director of Optus Marketing. So she has a very high-profile professional job which keeps her very busy and at the moment she's working from home like all of us because of our lockdown but today we're here to talk about something completely different than Optus marketing we're here to have a chocolate and coffee break so have you brought along some chocolate and coffee today Dilhara? I have actually I've got my favorite Oreos ready to go Oreos and I have today I've got some honeycomb with local honey chocolate yeah it's from the Ministry of Chocolate which is nearby the factory is is very is within the 5k's of my house so I can still get my chocolate so today I'm going to pull out my my little questions from my questions that on chocolate and coffee breaks to help start conversations. So I have one today for us, and it is, what's special about the place you grew up in? Wow, that's a loaded question. It's a big question. I grew up across three continents. I was born in Sri Lanka. Um, I left as a young, young girl before the age of 10, and then I spent my teenage years in the UK. And then from there, I migrated to Australia and I've been an Australian citizen since, you know, I was in my late teens. So I suppose where did I grow up is um, across three continents. I have three different cultural influences uh, predominantly in my existence. And what's best about where I grew up is I actually grew up in different stages of my life in three different places. And it made me a very open-minded, a multicultural and very respectful and accommodating person because I didn't really see myself fitting into one box of who I am. I was always ever willing and excited to just see and observe and take in a whole new world wherever I went. Sounds like you would have had a fascinating upbringing with the three different cultures. I mean, people might think that UK is similar culture to Australia, but I'm sure that you can, having that experience, would be able to say, well, there is definite differences. Uh, everywhere is different. Um, Australia is very different to the UK, incredibly culturally different, people are different, lifestyles different, and exposures different. I mean, the mindset, how people think and how they behave. I grew up in London in the 80s um, and predominantly the 80s was a very Anglo-Saxon environment in, in living in London and as a youngster who's just come from Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is multicultural in its own right there. You know, it's um, it's a, it's a obviously an Asian population colonised by the British with the Dutch and Spanish influence. So the sort of food varieties are everything from 
your very, very spicy curries right through to your soufflés and chocolate gâteaux and, you know, your chocolate eclairs, a very French-influenced patisserie-type desserts and then very strong flavours in Eastern, Eastern and Eastern European foods. Taking that to London, I probably identified more with going from Sri Lanka to London because London has a very, as you know, very a strong Indian African community and their their food flavors are very similar and they're an incredibly multicultural race. So it was easier for me to slot into a lifestyle in London than it was to go from London to Australia because I found Australia when I first came to Melbourne um, incredibly um, very white Anglo-Saxon environment with a lot of Southeast Asian um, population, obviously from places like um, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, um, Malaysia. That influence was in which I wasn't quite used to. So different but interesting and I learnt a lot along the way, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that when you've got those different influences as you're growing up, that really does make a difference on who you are and and how you how you fit in with different people because um, that's your norm that becomes your is. norm well my my norm my mum is my my grandmother is half english my dad is and she's and my so my my great grandparents my grandfather is english and my grandmother is Sinhalese. So in Sri Lanka, they've got Tamil Sinhalese communities and it's uh, different religions, different languages that they speak. Um, so I've got a mixture already from my great-grandparents on my mum's side of the family. So my mum's half English. That makes my grandma part English. Oh, my makes my mum part English as well. So I've got that bloodline of mixture coming in from my mum's side of the family and then my dad's side of the family, um, his family are very strong uh, originated from southern India, then it became obviously Sri Lanka for us. I've never been to India, but neither has my dad. But I've got a massive influence of family around me in terms of bloodline. My brother-in-law is Dutch. Um, I've got Turkish cousin. I've got my partner's Australian. So, you know, I've got a mixture of absolutely everyone around me. And it's exciting. It's exciting to sit back and observe how different people live their different lifestyles and the and even grow up being, I suppose, influenced in different ways to think differently as well. So I'll find that we'll have the same conversation about a cup of tea and my brother-in-law will respond very differently to my family because my dad was a tea planter. So for him, um, the, having, having the right perfect cup of tea is a really important topic for him, whereas for my brother-in-law, well, no, it's nice to put something in some hot water and drink it. <laughs> and there are lots of different cultural things. Whereas if you talk to my, you know, my cousin who um, comes from Ireland, it's all about potatoes and the importance of that potato in a meal, whereas for me it's just a potato. So, you know, yeah. um, I, I think it's exciting. Yeah, I, I love that diversity myself and love to to be surrounded by different people from different places, which is obviously why I do this, is because you, it opens up your mind and your thinking in a new way. And You become a really inclusive person um, socially uh, predominantly. You put me in any environment and I'd be really happy to adapt to someone who can speak a little bit of English and manages to do the rest with odd words and a hand signal. Yeah. And you embrace that and you, I think 
I automatically want to understand words that they actually can't say or the words that they're trying to translate in, in whatever language and go, what does that even mean? Um, so I have a bit of a love for language. And while I can't speak many languages, I can speak a little bit of a few. Um, and that's enough for me at this point. I think I, I get excited to, to learn and understand different things. It actually makes me a more ex- I think it makes me just a happier person to be around people from all sorts of walks of life. Yes, I relate to that very much. I'd love you to share some of the stories that you've already shared with me previously about when you maybe haven't felt so included because you're inclusive but not everyone around you is always inclusive. Some of those stories that you can share with us. There's too many. Um, I think I'm going to tell you about a story of um, one of the first times that I, um, not long after I moved out of home for the first time. So I got a job in Canberra and I left home and I moved interstate to Canberra to work with the Department of Defence. The first week that I was in the office, everyone coming from Melbourne, going to another state, again, cultural differences between Victoria and Canberra. People dress differently, they talk differently, they behave differently, especially because it was a military environment as well. So that first, at the end of that first week, I thought, oh, I'll just go shopping and buy some new clothes and get myself uh, adjusted into a different work environment. That way I blend in a little bit more and I'll feel more comfortable. Saturday morning, went for my normal walk around uh, the lake in Canberra and then I thought I'll just go into the uh, main shopping centre in the city and have a look at what they had. I walked into nice. a well-known um, brand, international brand, uh, branded store, and where every city uh, in Australia probably has or every shopping centre in Australia probably has a store and most definitely across Europe. Um, and I walked in and there was a well-dressed lady in the store and she took one look at me and told me there was nothing in the store for me. It was a pretty woman moment for me in my head because I've anyone seen pretty woman when Julia Roberts walks into that designer store in Rodeo Drive and she's got next to nothing on and the ladies are all dressed up to the nines and tell her that they don't have anything in the store for her just on appearance and she walks out in tears. I had that moment. I had on tracky pants and a flannel. I'll never forget. It was a black and white checkered flannel shirt because I still have the shirt. And um, I was quite stunned because I knew what I wanted. I was looking for a suit. I was looking for some shirts. And that store was going to give me everything I normally would go and buy when I lived in Melbourne. I left really disheartened and I could tell that on appearance as far as these, this lady in the store goes, she picked me out from colour, the way I dressed, ethnicity, because I, in Canberra at the time there were not very many people of a dark skin colour tone at all. I think Italians are probably the closest to tanned people that were in Canberra around that time, Italians and Greeks probably. So I left, didn't say anything. Monday morning the following after the weekend, um, my boss, at the, my new boss, said to me, did you go shopping? Because I had asked him where to go to get some new clothes. He said, did you go shopping? And I had tears in my eyes and I said, well, I was in my early 20s. I was 22 or 23 years old. And I said, no, I told him the story of this lady that judged me and formed an opinion of me based on how I looked and what she had said. And he said, come on, we're going out for lunch today. 
and we went back to the shops and we went and bought everything I wanted from all sorts of shops. And then on our way back to the car, my old boss, he had all, was carrying all the bags in his hand for me and I had this moment of you know, importance where I'm shaking my arms and walking down the shopping centre and he's carrying all the bags and he's my new boss. I barely knew the man. And we walked into, he walked past this one store, the store that I was upset with, and he said, is that the store that treated you badly? And I said, yeah, guess let's go in. And I said, no, I never want to go in there again. And he said, no, we have to go in. And unfortunately for the person in the store, it was the same lady that was there over the weekend. So he, she came straight over to me. She walked straight over to me because I had on a business suit. I looked completely different to what I had looked like two days earlier. And um, she offered to help me. And my, my boss stopped her and said, do you remember this lady on the weekend? And she said, no. And I said, I came in here on Saturday and I had a flannel shirt, I had a baseball hat on and I had a pair of tracksuit pants on. And she started to just go completely pale. <laughs> and, um, and I said, do you remember what you said to me? And, and she said, she just didn't answer. She just kept just staring at me. And I said, you told me there was nothing in the store for me. And at that moment, my boss, who had obviously watched Pretty Woman, he picked up all <laughs> the bags in his head and he just said, big mistake, big mistake. And he goes, come on, we're going now. And he put the, carried the bags and off we left. And I'll never forget that story because it's probably one of the most significant adult moments that I've had in my life where I've mental, mentally made a note that I will never, ever look at a person and judge what they, judge who they are. Um, and I find that I do it in the street very often now, I see, especially when I see homeless people or underprivileged. I think I go the extra mile to make them feel like they're part of that community on that sidewalk rather than make them feel like they're in my way and, they should just, and I should just step over them. So, um, yeah, it was a, it's, um, it's just a funny story and I will hold on to that flannel shirt forever. It's a, it's a reminder. Every time you look at that, you'll think of that moment, won't you? Of yeah, it, it's it's um it's a significant moment for me. Um, and every time I look at that shirt, it always reminds me of how not to be, and how not to treat people. And it's a real, it's a real. That moment was a real eye opener for me. To this day, I still feel and remember how I felt in that store. Yeah, and it's something that. I can't comprehend how well, you know, I've seen people being treated badly and people being judged just for maybe just for what they're wearing and people not understanding. Look, I think we unknowingly, forgive me, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> I think unknowingly uh, we probably all do it. Mm. You know, it's um, it's it's. It's really sad that it's just human nature that you judge a book initially by its cover and you do form an impression of how people are based on how they dress or how they speak or how they conduct themselves in a room. There's been plenty of times that I will roll my eyes at someone um, in a work environment when when we're talking and they just go off on a tangent and start talking about something random. But I think at the end of the day, self-awareness is really important where you just have to stop and go, I just want to treat people how I want to be treated, and it doesn't. And it, it doesn't get any simpler than that, and it actually shouldn't get any simpler than that. 
Yeah. I, I know that I pull myself up sometimes as well. And, you know, this is being vulnerable and open is that is that every now and then we do judge somebody and just to be able to stop yourself and go, well, hang on a minute. No, that's that's not right. I don't know what's going on in this person's life. I don't know their background story. And they have as much worth and as value and as much right to be treated properly, treated well, as I do. Absolutely. I, I read something somewhere, I can't remember where I read it now, um, Andrea, but very recently I, I think I was scrolling through Facebook and I came across something where it said, my personality is determines who my who I am, but my attitude is determined by how you treat me. And it really stuck in my head. Um, and it was really important to me because it's, it's very real. I know who I am as a person, but my attitude towards life and towards you will always depend on how you treat me as a human being. Mm. Um, and it was very profound words. It, if you read it and just kept scrolling, you wouldn't digest. But I stopped and I just I actually wrote it down so that I remember it and it's just always stayed in my mind. Yes, there's, there's some, you had that moment of something clarity that makes you just think, yeah, it's the way we treat other people that's important. My favourite um, my favorite saying, and it's I think it's actually quoted on my LinkedIn profile, is um, something that Mahatma Gandhi said many, many moons ago as a young um, as a young leader who was trying to change the course of um, his his cultural history and his nation's history. And when, in, in one of his peace protests or his hunger starvations, I should say, starvation protests, he actually said that you should be, everyone should try and be the change that they're trying to actually create. Um, and that's one of the most important things I've ever heard anyone say and it's probably one of the most historic and momentous um, moments for me to, re- to remember because it's, it's a very simple thing to ask everyone and, again, it is treat high people how you want to be treated and it will last through the ages and through the generations if only everyone would listen and actually act on it. Yes, so that, that start, that's just those three little words, be the change, is something that just resonates, I think, with a lot of people in that if we want, if there is something that we want in this world, if we want this world to be something in particular, we have to be the person who stands up for it and makes that makes that difference. Yeah, I had um, just recently with all, uh, all, these, all the protests over Black Lives Matter and while it was happening in the middle of, you know, stage one of our COVID pandemic and, I was really, I was really torn between what's the right thing to do and what's not the right thing to do. So when, when they were protesting in Federation Square, a big part of me actually wanted to go to the protest because it's a topic that matters to me: being racially equal um, and being. And it's really sad that we have to be racially equal and we just can't be humanly equal because yeah. they are one and the same thing for me. Yet they're treated very separately. People go, you matter because you're a person, but he matters more because he's fairer than you. And you just stop and have to go, how does that even compute in your brain? Because it doesn't in mine. For me, you're you and you, I'm me, and we're one of the same people. It just 
you just have different hair color to me. We still bleed the same red. We still have the same number of organs in our body and veins. So I, I can go on a philosophical rant with you all afternoon, but I, it really taught me about the do I go to this rally, do I support, a com, do I support communities um, that are actually quite oppressed. Still in Australia we have our Indigenous um, that are not look. There's community programs in place, et cetera, to help them, but they're not really fully understood. Um, I guess I'm going to throw a question back at you. And it's probably a really awkward question to ask you, but relevant. I've experienced racism from living in Sri Lanka as a little child. And in Sri Lanka, it's really weird. The fairer you are in a dark-skinned community, the better and the more prettier you are. And if you go to India, it's exactly the same thing. The fairer you are as a dark person, the prettier people tend to think find you. So I wasn't one of the fairest of fairest of children in Sri Lanka. So, and I'll never forget, we had a we had a tour a German tourist that came, and he remembered asking my mum if I was if I was one of the hired help, and my mum said no, she's my child, um, because my brother and sister were fairer than me, and I would have been six or seven years old, and I'll never ever forget that man's face, nor that statement and that question. It's stuck in my head. It's funny what as a child what you remember. Mm. Then I remember going from Sri Lanka to England. Yeah, it was horrible. And, like, you know, he, he basically went, oh, everyone else in the family is a bit fair, except for her, she the hired help. And as a, I think I would have been six or seven years old, to hear that, and I don't remember much of anything else of that man except he was really tall and he was old and he was silver-haired and he had a German accent. But I remember that sentence and... I never took a liking to that after that. He stayed friends with my parents for many, many years, but I just never took a liking to him because that's all I remembered about him. Mm. Um, and he was a pivotal relationship, um, especially he was a pivotal person in the relationship of my family and he and my dad and my mum stayed friends for many, many years. But I just couldn't warm to him because that's all I ever remembered of him. Then I fast forward and went from Sri Lanka to England and as a teenager I spent my entire teenage life being called a packy, um, yeah. which in, in England in the 80s, you know, if you predominantly most people in England were um, a Pakistani or Indian so if they, and they couldn't tell the difference. So everyone was a packy and I used to spend my time reminding everyone I'm not a packy, I'm from Sri Lanka and they were like our oh, same same. Um, and I came to Australia and I got started getting called Indian and I had to go, no, I'm Sri Lankan. <laughs> I'm like, ah, what is going on? I'm not Indian, I'm Sri Lankan. And they go, isn't that the same thing? I'm like, well, that's not me calling you American or Kiwi. No, it's not the same thing. Like there's, there's ignorance and then there's blissful ignorance and you guys are living in blissful ignorance. It's not the same thing. So I guess my question to you is it's um, – Identifying difference and being in that minority environment, um, I could talk about it all day and it's always a bad news story or a sad story. But the funny thing is if you go to Sri Lanka or any Asian country, you will stand out as a good news story because you are different. You're mm -hmm. going to go there and your blonde hair and your fair skin will make you somebody that everyone idolises, whereas the flip side of it is, is when a brown skin person goes to a European country, 
it's not celebrated as much. And I still never understand that. Yeah. And I have experienced that because I've been to China, Hong Kong, well, still China, and and to Fiji, where there's a lot of Fijians and Indians. And people did. <coughs> I walked down the street because I, I stood out like a, I just stand out in those communities. So, yeah, and it is, it was never seen as a negative thing. Their attention was not a negative thing at all, except maybe in, in China where in some cases where they see you as, well, you're white, you must have money, therefore, you know, we have the begging thing happening. I'm laughing because uh, I think when you go from any country to a third world country, they think you've got money. Yes. I go from Australia to uh, Sri Lanka to visit family and they'll think I've got money. Why? Because I've just come on a plane from somewhere <laughs> else. Um, and yeah. I think it's I think it's about currency. Um and when I say currency, it's in the monetary sense. I think if they automatically think if you earn in another currency other than whatever's a local currency, you're ten times better than better off than they are automatically. Yeah, if you're so, a tourist, then you must have money to because you got there. Yeah, if yeah. you're flying there, you go, you're going to have money. So yeah. you're rich and I'm not. But it's a funny thing that whole that whole um, that reverse psychology of if you're a European Caucasian that goes to a, a, a brown, I call it a brown-skinned country for uh, for lack of other words, but if you go to a country where predominantly everyone is dark-skinned, they celebrate the Europeans that have come there because somehow you're beautiful and you're different and, you're, and in their eyes you, there's a wow factor. But when you turn that entire story upside down and you have, let's say, me going to... Australia or America or London, you're not celebrated. You're seen as you're invading my space, you're taking my jobs, you're doing the and you you actually get a completely different perspective of and response and reaction from a person. And it may, it never makes sense to me. No, it's it's an odd thing. It really is. When you when you try to get it down, it's kind of it's really odd. And I guess that's what we're here for is to try and help people to to see through that, to see that that is odd, then that it's it's not the way that we really want to be living in this world. We want to be treating people all on the same equal footing. I'm intrigued by us. <laughs> Um, having a conversation today and the topic of the conversation as well because I'm guessing it's fair to say you've never really experienced racism in any shape or form. No, I haven't. How does that make you feel? Like to hear me talk about stuff and from the, from the receiving end, how does that make you feel? Like what do you think? Like you must be thinking she's making this up. It can't be this bad. No, um, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question of why this is why I am so passionate about this, and I call it my beyond the why because I haven't experienced it is beyond my own personal why, but it's something that just speaks so strongly to me, and I just it's it's just that thing about treating people equally and as if they're 
it just doesn't make sense to me the way different people are treated. I, it's really hard for me to explain why it affects me, but it does. And I think it may be a bit of, of empathy, whereas I, you talk about this and I try to, and somehow I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm the one that's being treated like that when you tell me that story. And I don't want to be treated like that. So why should I be treated like that? It's hard, isn't it? Because as I'm, and I'm very conscious of what I'm saying to you because I, whilst I'm having, giving you personal um, um, encounters and, and I suppose recount, recounting my own personal experiences, when you talk about racism, it's a general, you speak in the general sense, you speak for you speak for yourself, but you also talk in a community sense. And then that is really dangerous to do because not everyone is racist. Not everyone is colour conscious. Most people I know, and probably because I surround myself with people who don't um, don't exercise bigotry and don't have a bone in their body that separates anything other than good from evil in their hearts, um, but I find it fascinating that there's a whole world of people out there that I have directly or indirectly disassociated myself with or don't even wish to be friends with because their thought process is different to mine. Um, when I was growing up, um, especially when I was growing up in Sri Lanka as a young, as a, uh, as a young girl, my dad was a very, very open-minded person and um, Sri Lanka being very, very, in terms of religion, there were lots of different religious backgrounds and communities in one small country, um, keeping in mind that the country is the size of New South Wales with the population of the whole of Australia in it. So it's a pretty yeah. jam-packed. Everyone's living yeah. on top of everyone else. Um, and my dad used to, he would randomly drive with us in the car and he'll stop and say, we're going to the mosque, we're going to visit the mosque, and now we're not Muslim. And we'd all, my mum would look at all of us and look at my dad and go, why? And he'll say, because I want them to see what it is, what it's like inside. Don't want them to grow up ignorant to what it's like inside. So we would all shuffle along to a mosque, you know, cover ourselves up appropriately and go and look at everything, admire the, the architecture and the, I always fell in love with all the, the, the Marrakesh-style mosaic tiling on the walls and the, the art, beautiful artwork. And then we would randomly drive down another day past a church and he'll say, we're going to church today. Um, and my family background is Hinduism. And so we would go to the temple. We would go to all sorts of different houses of worship. And look, at the time, we were totally confused what was going on. We were young children. But as an adult, I really, really appreciated that exposure because to me, a house of worship is a house of worship and where you come from and what what you have to do in terms of traditional wear or rituals uh, before you walk into a place or while you're inside, I actually think it's beautiful. Um, and it's wonderful when people actually make, go, have that experience or take the time to stop and learn um, about anyone else's lifestyle. And I think travelling is something that I don't have children, um, I have two stepchildren, but I encourage them to go and do things and see things and be the best version of themselves because 
the best way to love the human race is to be part of it. Yes. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I'm just in awe of what your father did with that in, in taking you to all the different I don't even think he realised the significance of what he was doing. I think he thought it was just something random and different to do because he had an interest. He's very learned and very academic and he loves to read. He's, you know, he subscribes to his National Geographic and his Reader's Digest and he's always watching some documentary or the other on TV. But I don't think in that instant, every time he made those, and they were random decisions because we never planned to drive to church in the middle of the afternoon. We would be driving past and he would just stop. And my mum would have this confused look on her face with three children in the backseat going, why have we stopped? <laughs> that was that. And we just got used to the fact that we would stop and do random things with him. Um, we used to, you know, we were confused back then and I laugh about it now. But I think if I really stop to think about the importance of those little life lessons, they're enormous. Yeah. I, who I am right now is definitely a culmination of who I am as a person and what I've learned along the way. You know, they, what, they, what they say is true. We aren't born bigots. We learn to be bigots. Absolutely. And I think that's part of my my story too is that I grew up in a in a suburb where a lot of the the immigrants did come and live so I was going to school with with the immigrants of the time which were mainly Italians and Greeks Mm -hmm. at this point it was mainly Italians so when I was in grade six there was five Giuseppes so my my schoolmates were all all the immigrants of the time and so we learnt to have a variety of people that that was normal there was lebanese there was yugoslavian there was quite a few different ones that i can't remember now but i think having that as my upbringing has had a deep impact on me because to me these people were they were they were my friends they were my playmates and why should they they weren't treated any differently than I was most of the time because there was such a large immigrant yeah population i guess there was a little bit of wog calling but not a lot you know we soon got over that <laughs> You just reminded me of the you know, of um, um, a childhood incident living in the UK. So we lived in a cul-de-sac, a little court, um, and there were about I think there were ten houses. It was like a U-shaped, a moon-shaped street, and there were two African families. There was my family, and then there was one other Indian family, and everyone else was English in that court. So I think of the 10 houses, I'm pretty sure there were six families that were English and then the other four were um, uh, migrants of other, from other areas of the world. And I remember there used to be this one particular family where I think they were quite wealthy, if I remember correctly. Well, they certainly you know, had that affluent generations upon generations of living in the UK um, culture about them. And I remember the house was full of antique furniture as a a young, the things that you remember when you're a little girl. And um, they had two sons and the boys would be out there playing with us, but whenever it came to having 
milk and cookies we or scones and jam and cream where she, they used to do a, 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 on the weekends, um, they would invite the neighbourhood kids, but it would always be the six children from the European English background and the other kids would continue playing or they would just go to one of the other families' houses or back to their own homes um, because they weren't welcome. So very strange little things that stick in your mind. Um, but it sticks in my mind for a part. And I, you know, if you look at everything in life in a glass half full sense, which I try really hard to do, all of these memories that I have of, you know, the, the elderly gentleman in, the, in England who thought I was one of the housemaids, um, the family in the UK that would only want the, the, the children of the other six European families in their home, it actually made me a really good person because all I remember is how I don't want to be. Yeah. And every single time when these little memories come back to life, I just go, I'm so glad I'm not like that or I'm glad my brother and sister aren't like that um, and that they're rearing their my nieces and nephews to be really open, honest, caring and welcoming human beings because, you know, you look at the, what's happening in the world around us right now, you know, COVID-19 is not choosy about who whose life it's taking. It's not choosy about who which life it's infecting. At the end of the day, the world around us is going to treat us exactly the same. It's just we, us, who choose to treat each other differently. Yes, and, and that's that's really what it's about. It's about us tr- choosing to treat other people differently. So Absolutely. we're running out of time. So is there anything more on a on a positive note that you think we can end with? I'm incredibly glad that you're doing what you're doing, especially because you can't quite relate to my experiences yet. You can relate to being a human being that just wants to be treated well and live in a community where everyone aspires to to look after each other and look out for each other. And I just think there should be more people like you in the world. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's really lovely. (laughs) Thank you, Dilara. So that's all we have time for today on Chocolate and Coffee Breaks. And we'll be back next time with more stories from around the world. Thank you for joining me today on Chocolate and Coffee Breaks. To download our resource pack for your own chocolate and coffee break experiences and join our community, head on over to www.chocolateandcoffeebreaks.com. Join us again next time as we explore more stories that will touch your heart and reveal that opposites are the same. Meanwhile, Share a chocolate, have a cuppa, enjoy a conversation and change the world.